0: The word of God says in Exodus chapter 4 verses 21 to 26 and the Lord said to Moses when you go back to Egypt see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go then you shall say to Pharaoh thus says the Lord Israel is my firstborn son and I will say to you Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. This is the word of the Lord. This is certainly a passage that uh, is oftentimes avoided or skipped over, but I think not only is that um, not rightly dividing the word of truth, as it's clearly in the text, in the word of God, but at the same time I would also strongly suggest there's some practical lessons for us in this um oft neglected text when we're thinking about a title for this portion i have to admit that uh the, the one that kind of came to my mind was a son sin and snip 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 but i'm not going with that i'm going to just go with a bridegroom of blood a bridegroom of blood and i'm i'm, I'm just going with that because i think it identifies the big picture more properly, although it certainly is about a son, it is about sin, and it is about a very distinct snipping or cutting away that is about to happen. Maybe to set the stage of what we're discussing when we come to this bridegroom of blood, let me share with you a tale. And I say a tale because I don't think it's actually accurate, but um, certainly it paints the picture of, of what we're thinking about here. Um, the tale is told of a young girl or uh, a girl that had a pet python, and she nurtured this pet python from a very young age, and uh, and as snakes do, it began to grow, and it grew larger and larger, and it would eat basically everything that she was giving it to eat. But then eventually it got to this phase where it stopped eating, and it, it went days and then eventually a couple weeks without really digesting anything that this girl was giving it. Um, and she noticed that the, the python would just lay around and at nighttime she would have that snake sleep in her bed again. Not my style, but the snake would sleep in her bed and, and she noticed it would just stretch out next to her and she was very concerned that her snake was going to die. And so eventually she took the snake in to the veterinarian and and told him uh, what the behaviors were and that the snake wasn't eating and she was concerned. Well, the vet said, "Uh, uh, ma'am or girl, your snake actually isn't sick. Your snake is laying itself out beside you and refusing to eat because your python is measuring you and preparing for you to be its next meal. Well, the whole point of that story was... um, She had nurtured the snake from a very point of infancy where there was maybe no threat, no danger. But as she grew attached to that snake, she didn't notice the process of that snake becoming an adult python, which now could actually consume her, could kill her. You know, that's really the way that sin goes in our life as well. We oftentimes can allow sin to take root in our life at a stage where uh, it just doesn't seem like a big deal. but as we learn in the word of god in james chapter 1 that when that sin is fully ripened fully developed comes to maturity well it leads to death and it leads to destruction that's really what we're going to see here as we come to the text in exodus chapter 4. we uh, go back to verse 21 and 21 through 23 we have an entrance into this uh, portion about the circumcision and the blood and the touching of, of, of Moses, or I'll get to that in a little bit, assuming Moses. But I, I want us just to make note of a couple things in verses 21 through 23. Notice the Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. Uh, I just want to make note that I'm going to clearly and thoroughly address this idea this statement of hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So don't think that we're skipping over it, we are passing over it at the present, um, just because I think there'll be a more opportune time to discuss that thoroughly. So just want to acknowledge that. Secondly, in uh, verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. The terminology being used there, the idea of a firstborn son is one that's going to deserve much more attention from us. So we will do that as well, but that will be another time. So the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the concept of Israel as God's firstborn son, we will discuss later on. But the big picture I want you to notice in 21 to 23 is that God is warning Pharaoh saying, you don't let my firstborn child go, I'm going to kill your first born child which of course we're going to end up seeing spoiler alert in the final uh, punishment plague judgment to hit egypt the death of the firstborn son but we're not there yet so let's go back to the text and let's think through what exactly is happening here i would like us just to take this time and focus in on sin thinking about this subtlety of sin and thinking about in relation to the example i gave about the python I think we have a similar parallel going on here in relation to Moses. So what really is the sin? Now, I understand we are making a few assumptions as we look at this passage, because if you're looking at it in the Hebrew, it doesn't say Moses or Moses' son. It doesn't differentiate between the two. So when we see at the lodging place on the on the way, the Lord met him. Who did he meet? And sought to put him. Who's the him? Of course, we're assuming Moses here, him to death. So Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet. Well, it doesn't actually say Moses. Again, touched feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom. Well, the word bridegroom could be bridegroom or kinsman. So, bridegroom of blood to me. So, again, There is some space for saying, is this Moses? Is this Moses' son Um, with these different um, pronouns of him? Well, the good news is this. The good news is the practical application that we are going to come to during this time applies regardless. It lines up with the whole of God's word. So we can take this time confidently knowing that the application is the same. That being said, I do think the picture will be quite clear that it is referring to after after the circumcision of of Moses' son by Zipporah that it is indeed Moses' feet which we'll discuss being touched. I do believe that Moses is the one that is being sought to be put to death. Um, and again, I'm leaving room that I could be wrong, but. I just want you to know as I discuss it, I'm discussing it from that perspective. And I think um, some of that will become a little bit more clear as we get into this portion of the text. Notice the phrase that opens 24 at a lodging place on the way at a lodging place on the way. I I love this because on the way. What does that tell you? What's he on the way to do? He's on the way to Egypt. He's on the way to obey the Lord. He's on the way to declare the word of the Lord. He's on the way to accomplish this mission given by God at the burning bush. And, uh, you know, this is where the Lord confronts things in our life, too. He confronts us on the way. He confronts us in this journey of obedience. He confronts us as we move based on the Word of God. He confronts our life as well. But there are six things I want us to notice about Moses' disobedience. Six things about this sin that is identified. So what is the sin? Well, the sin would seem to be quite clearly that um, circumcision hadn't happened. Now, when I say circumcision hadn't happened, I'm saying in a vague way intentionally because I believe there are two circumcisions that hadn't happened. I don't think the circumcision of Moses' son had happened, and I also don't think Moses had been circumcised. Um, the, the, the The aspect, the first aspect of sin that we want to draw out in relation to the circumcision is that this was a secret disobedience, a secret disobedience. Why do I say secret? Well. The fact of the matter is uh, you don't just walk around and tell if somebody's been circumcised or not. Circumcision happens on a part of the body which typically is concealed. Um, and, And thus, it is a secret disobedience. You're not just thinking, oh, wow, that person's not circumcised. And so understand that when we're talking about the sin in this portion We're talking about a secret disobedience. This is going to be important as we discuss sin in our own lives, in what the Lord wants to confront. But again, we're not saying blatant sin that everyone says, wow, that individual is walking in sin. And so as you start to let the Holy Spirit turn the wheels of your mind and of your heart, I pray that you would recognize we're not talking about just blatant sins that people are going to confront in your life. We're talking about those sins that no one can see but God. as you're on the way, as you believe you're on the way to obey him, you think there's a, this grandiose calling. There's these greater things that God's called you to do. Well, meanwhile, you're ignoring the very importance of obedience in what we deem the small things of life. And, and so we're going to see that it's this secret disobedience, not evident to the eyes of most, that God's going to confront. But then it's not just the secret disobedience. It's also this subtle this subtle disobedience, um, when I say subtle, one word of, uh, one, one meaning of subtle is to operate deceptively. To operate deceptively, and that's what we have here with this subtle sin uh, in Moses' life. When I say to operate deceptively, well think about it like this. It it was subtle because it had been going on for so long. I mean, how long? Moses is 80 years old, and it would seem quite clearly that he's not circumcised. Now, perhaps he was. Maybe his parents did circumcise him. I'll get to why I said what I said later on. Maybe they did. And even if they did, let me just tell you, it, the point still applies because in this case, his son wasn't circumcised. And we know that his son was supposed to be circumcised being a Hebrew child, even if married to Zipporah. Now, when we think of subtle, um, we, we understand that, uh, that it, life goes on and yet that sin is residing. It would be very easy for, um, for Moses just to, to think almost nothing of it. And we'll, we'll get to the reasons why behind that. But remember this when we think about subtle disobedience. Subtle disobedience, we always reap more than we sow. Um, I'll explain this. Uh, if you take a, a kernel of corn, a kernel of corn and place it into the ground, well, a kernel of corn doesn't seem like much, but if you place it in the ground and it's cultivated properly, what, what happens? Well, eventually a stock comes up and on that stalk you have another ear of corn, or two ears of corn, and each ear of corn will will have roughly 800 kernels in 16 rows on that ear of corn. It was one kernel, but now we've got 800 kernels. Now those 800 kernels could go plant another field with 800 to 1600 stalks of corn, and and you see it's as subtle that 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 we're going to reap more than we sow but the other thing is this we don't reap in the same season that we sow and so it was subtle because here is Moses sowing disobedience and yet when is this disobedience coming up to fruition on the way how often do we see this in the lives of whether it's our own life or the lives of others around us maybe it's news breaks of of people that we respect and we see uh, sin come up it wasn't that they just started sowing the sin right at that moment it's that they've been sowing sin for so long that hadn't been dealt with it was subtle it was operating deceptively in their life and then in a different season in which they sow sowed, they reaped, and they reaped a far bigger harvest than what originally they thought they were putting into the ground. I've certainly seen this in my own life, oh, how deceptive sin is, how subtle it is just accommodating those thoughts and not taking them into captivity to the obedience of christ as paul teaches the church at corinth but rather allowing those uh the the subtle thoughts to kind of sink in and start to permeate allowing the ways of the world to mold our perspective or maybe just accommodating sin saying well it's not this so since it's a lesser form it's okay and we ask questions like well uh, it, it, how bad is it? Or, or uh, we, we ask, is it bad? Instead of, how does it glorify Christ? And we start to accommodate mediocrity. We start to accept complacency. And eventually, what we're doing is we're planting sin that is going to reap a full harvest in its proper season. Of course, we know what Galatians chapter 6 tells us, beginning in verse 7, do not be deceived. Remember, settle to operate deceptively, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Uh, you know, that, that, that's good news when you're sowing the right thing, and it's very terrifying news when indeed you're allowing sin to be what's cultivated in your field of life. And so we see it's a secret disobedience. We see it's a subtle disobedience that's been going on for a long time. The third thing we see, though, in this text is it's also a straightforward disobedience. There's no negotiating. There's no like wondering, is this or is this not a sin? I would encourage you to turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. And in Genesis 17, what did God say to um, their patriarch Abraham? as for you verse 9 you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you every male among you shall be circumcised you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you and it goes on talking about throughout your generations well again it was straightforward this is not something like, ah, oh, do you think God wants our son to be circumcised too? Like, no, it wasn't for an elite few. This was God's call for his people. Why? It was an external sign of um, them belonging to him. Now, the beautiful thing now in Christ is it's a circumcision of the heart. And that is, of course, for both male and female, for both Jew and Greek, for both slave and free. We are all one in Christ Jesus according to Galatians 3:28 and so we see it's a straightforward disobedience I just wonder: in our own life, are we accommodating straightforward disobedience? In other words, God's word says it, and we just like, ah, I know it says it, but frankly, it's a little hard to live out. You know, like Ephesians 4:29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for the edification of the hearers, that might impart grace to the hearer. We think, ah, I can't, I can't let no corrupt word proceed out of my mouth. I mean, that that's impossible. You see, we, we start to take God's word and say it's impossible rather than recognizing the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. Say again, it's impossible. Hello. The point is not the possibility in our flesh. The point is walking in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so we see straightforward disobedience is not just something happening in Exodus chapter 4, but it's something we oftentimes allow in our own life as well. But I want us to notice it's not just secret, subtle, straightforward, but it's also severe disobedience. Why do I say severe? Well, just read verse 24 again. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Severe? Yes, severe. He, he's about to be put to death, put to death for the sin. You think, man, isn't this a little drastic God? You just called him at the burning bush and said, go do this, and then now you want to kill him. Well, I think there's so much more to it. You see, this is not randomly placed. What does it say back in verse 23? Um, God speaking to Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. What's God saying to Pharaoh? If you disobey me. If you choose to reject my word, your firstborn son's going to die. Well, what's happening now in the very next verse? Well, Moses is choosing to disobey the Lord. And, and, and sure, he's like, but I'm doing great work for you, God. See, so often we can mask disobedience by some form of other obedience. We can say, but God, don't you see what I'm doing over here? And God says, what I want is your heart. What I want is faithfulness. What I want is devotion and the reality is our salvation is in the finished work of jesus christ alone nothing else can save but when it comes to walking with the lord what does jesus christ say in john 14 21 he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me and my he he who he who loves me my father will love i will love and i will manifest myself to him (laughs) isn't that beautiful it's beautiful because who is he giving this intimacy to those who walk in obedience. God doesn't love them more, but they enjoy his love more because they're choosing to walk in his way. So here he says, hey, this was true of Pharaoh, but guess what? It's also true for you. Um, I I think there's actually a lot more to this this severe disobedience, but I'll come to that in a minute. I just want you to recognize that the wages of sin is death. Um, and obviously for those who die outside of Christ, it's eternal separation from God. Um, for those who are choosing sin, even in their Christian life, um, well, we've seen 1 Corinthians 11, for this reason, many of you sleep. In other words, sometimes God has to just take you out of the picture. Sin has severe consequences. I didn't say what type of sin. I said sin, period. And so we see it's secret, it's subtle, it's straightforward, it's severe, but notice this too, it's sudden, (laughs) This to me is one of the most potent points because it's sudden, sudden disobedience. You see, this had existed for a while. If it was, if it was Moses' circumcision, well, 80 years. If it was his sons, well, we know his son had been born fairly recently, his second son at least. But regardless, like, it was, it was there. But all of a sudden it says, on the way, God's seeking to kill him. On the way. Bam. Just like, sudden. I want us to recognize this about our sin. See, let me say it like this. If there is a sin you're choosing to harbor in your life, you're choosing to let it live today in you. you even after you listen to this podcast, you say I'm just going I'm going to go for it again. Maybe it's a sin of pornography. Maybe it's, uh, it's something that you're, you're intentionally doing behind someone's back in a deceitful way, which you know is not honoring and glorifying God. Maybe it's, uh, it's a certain, um, aspect of life that, 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 unforgiveness towards someone. Maybe it's the way that you, um, engage in the entertainment of the day that you know dishonors the holiness of God, but you're intentionally choosing to harbor it intentionally. This is not something that you, oops, uh, it happened and you repent and confess. This is something you're planning on doing. You're planning on continuing on in your sinful path. Let me warn you, beware, because the consequences of sin, the wages of sin, it's sudden. It's sudden. On the way, even as he's on the way to go to Egypt on the command of God, God meets him seeking To kill him at this point there is a sudden aspect to sin's consequences and we see it here but the sixth and final thing i'll mention before then bringing this all together and seeing christ in it all is um, the self-righteous aspect of disobedience self-righteous and why do i say self-righteous well because pharaoh's firstborn was dying because of disobedience to yahweh and And yet somehow did Moses think that he could live in blatant disobedience and also not have the same consequence? Was he somehow immune to um, the, the, the judgment that God carries out on sin? The reality is none of us are immune. The reality is the wages of sin is death for every soul. You see, this is what we have to confront. The issue is not so much that you're a sinner. The issue is that There's a Savior, and what have you done with him? What we're going to see here is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, because what goes on next is in 25, Zipporah takes a flint, cuts off her son's foreskin, and touches feet. Now, we assume Moses' feet. There's a few things we need to recognize here. We need to recognize that there's a shedding of blood going on. And that shedding of blood is the circumcision of her son. Now, it, it would be worth noting that um, Egyptians also practiced circumcision, but it was a, a very different type of circumcision that would have gone on in that day. And I'm not going to go into it, but it wasn't a full cutting off of the foreskin. Um, but here what we see is, we see this is not the Egyptian circumcision, which doesn't remove the foreskin. This in here we see... the the skin is being cut off because then Moses is being touched with it, Um, the assumption being Moses there. But it says Moses' feet or touched feet. Um, For those of you that have studied Hebrew, you would be very familiar by now that the word for feet or reglaim um, is a euphemism. It's a euphemism for the male genitalia. And so I know the picture might seem a little crude. You might be wondering, why am I even talking about this? But I I think that there's a deep significance to what is going on here. And so I want to make sure that we're not ignoring it. I'm not sure if Moses had or had not been circumcised. But for whatever reason or whatever the situation, here is Moses' son having his blood shed. And Moses being touched and in a very real way what we see is the same imagery that we're gonna see in Exodus chapter 12 we're gonna see the touching of the doorpost with the blood of the lamb and the angel of death passing over here we see same type of situation where blood is being applied and death is being passed over Because there was a sacrifice, or there was a um, substitution, I should say, that came in between the two. Again, I'm not seeking to push things too far here. And if I am, I truly, I'm sorry, and please take it back to the word of God. What I'm saying right now, test it. I'm not standing on this mountain saying this is just what is absolutely what the case is. That's why I go back to the practical application about sin. The things I mentioned concerning sin, the six aspects, secret, subtle, straightforward, severe, sudden, self-righteous. You can stand on that. Those will hold. They'll hold all the way throughout Scripture. But what I do see here as we walk through this account is I see a picture of Christ. What is the pora going to call Moses? She's going to call him a bridegroom of blood. A bridegroom of blood. I want us to think about this because what a connection to Jesus Christ we have. See, let's think through why Moses was even chosen to go to the children of Israel. Well, there's many reasons perhaps, and we've discussed some of them earlier in episodes, but I want us to think about the fact that God chose one who is um, both a Hebrew, but also intimately connected with the household of Pharaoh, one who's intimately connected with Egypt. And, and what I would say there is, I would say it's somebody who cares about the people on both sides of the aisle. God chose someone who, um, who, who was, let's say, intimately involved in the lives of, of both the oppressor and those being oppressed. Now, when you take that thought I want us to go now to a whole other image, and that is the cities of refuge. Now, we haven't gotten to the cities of refuge, and we're not going to get to the cities of refuge in the book of Exodus, but if you don't remember, the cities of refuge were established later on, that a manslayer who unintentionally killed somebody else could flee to one of these six cities of refuge and there find safety. But if he was apprehended and killed by the one pursuing him, beforehand, then that person would also be blameless because blood had been shed and this was just the right thing. But the thing about that blood being shed, which is really interesting, is, all right, let's say in that day um, someone had killed your brother um, and you were going after them. Well, you had the right to kill them before they got to the city of refuge um, because they had slain blood. But what if I saw them and I said, oh, yeah, they killed your brother. All right, I'll go get them. Well, you see, I don't have that right to go get them. Why don't I have that right? Because it wasn't against me. The, the, the offense wasn't against me. See, you have that right. But if I kill that very same person that you're trying to kill, you're going to be let off. I'm, meanwhile, now guilty of blood. Why? Because there wasn't any offense between us. Uh, what we're going to understand, what we're going to see as we watch Moses um, going to Israel in this case is he had to know his identity. His identity as one of the children of Israel to carry out the role that God had for him. In other words, this wasn't just a a social issue he's going to deal with. We have to understand that this is a family issue. And the very sign of that family, the very sign of the covenant that he is one of the Hebrews is circumcision and it would be circumcision of him and his sons. And so here he is going to stand in the gap. He's going to stand on behalf of the Hebrews, but he's not even willing to bear the identifying feature of them, or at least his sons to bear the identifying feature of them. You see, I want you to see there's a deep significance here. In other words, he needed to become one of them. Well, what we see very clearly is we have a bridegroom of blood. We have a bridegroom of blood, one who came and identified fully with us though god he became man and fully man fully god and he came and and took on um what what we could never he it it says in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god in him see unlike moses who came and who who took uh the life of an egyptian taskmaster in his fury and his anger and his passion We have Jesus Christ who came, and what did he do? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Instead of taking a life, he gave his life. See, unlike Moses, who was spared even when uh, another shed his blood, in this case, his son's blood being shed, not to death, but in circumcision, um, and then being applied to Moses um, as that sign of the covenant, well, what do we have? we have Christ who came and shed his blood on our behalf, reconciling us to God. And we see that in Colossians chapter 1. But going even further, how does it explain this bridegroom of blood? Well, when we get to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 to 27, we find out that he loved us. He gave himself for us. Um, In fact, Rather than trying to quote it for you, let me just go there. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to read verses 25 through 27. It says this, um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." See, when we think about this bridegroom of blood, when we think about the identity that Moses was bearing now, as he goes to the um, children of Israel, the, the Hebrews, to rescue them from the land of, um, of, of Egypt, Jesus is the much better, the true, the ultimate bridegroom of blood. And why? Because he brings us into this new life through the shedding of his blood, yes, but he did it willingly he did it boldly he did it uh, as it says in Romans 8:32, that God did not spare his son but gave him up for us all and how shall he not also with him freely give us all things see as we come to this whole bridegroom of blood in this portion It might seem out of place. It might seem strange. It might even seem awkward to some of us. But the reality is what we have here is a picture of Jesus Christ. What we have here is this bridegroom of blood who is our identity. He is associated with us. He came into our situation. Um, And of course, uh, without fault, unlike Moses, who had to have another's blood applied, to the doorpost of his home, to the place where the sign of his covenant should have rested. We have the blood of our Savior applied. That is our identity. This is where we stand, and what a place to stand. And I know we're just about out of time, and even as we close things out here, um, I'm reminded of, um, of a song, a song that uh, Harper Smith wrote in 1903, where it says we cannot be channels of blessing. If our lives are not free from no sin, we will barriers be and a hindrance to those we are trying to win. Make me a channel of blessing today. My friends, the only way that you can be right before God is when your bridegroom of blood, his blood has been applied to the doorpost of your home. But the reality is when you're in him, the other question is, are we trying to move forward in doing his work? but not in his way, harboring those sins of subtle nature, of secret nature, straightforward, knowing that the consequences are severe and sudden. My friends, there's a world around us that desperately needs the message we're conveying, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what God wants is pure vessels that will take it. Let's make sure that even today, we're responding to the straightforward word of God, not trying to explain it away, but surrendering to it, knowing that our Bridegroom of Blood is worthy of every part of our life. We are truly out of time to so check out www.intoyourbible.org for more information, for show notes, for other videos, resources that could bless your life, um, and certainly check out our YouTube page and subscribe there. But um, until next time, remember that our prayer is that you would be one who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. listening to Into Your Bible, the podcast, an extension of the ministry of Rock International. This is a place where we dive into the Holy Bible, seeking a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. Wherever you listen, subscribe to not miss an episode. And if you want to take things a step further, leave a review so others can find it too. For free resources, show notes, and more, check out our website at www.intoyourbible.org. Until next time, keep diving in.